0: Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. To say that marriage is hard is an understatement, and as divorce is on the rise in our culture, it's easy to lose sight of God's original intent and design. God created this relationship and has given us tools to ensure that it not only survives, but thrives and through his help and guidance from his word we can work to eliminate the issues that are threatening our relationships and to move our marriages to a place of real and lasting health good morning vintage church how are you oh oh my side, this, this side's got it. There, y'all are good as word you're really dakota i see you over there you're real excited <laughs> Good morning. I love that I get to bring the word to you this morning. We are in the middle of our marriage series, By a Thread. And this is always one of those series where um, a lot of people feel like, oh, I can just check out for this one. I'll just sit here and play Candy Crush while you talk to all the married people in the room. Um, But that is not the case Um, because I think, not I think, I know that God's truth reaches everybody where we are. His word is living and active, and there aren't, like, certain scriptures that are applicable only to some people. It all, if it's, if it's God's truth, and it's good truth for us, and it's good for us to learn and understand and, and wrestle through. And I've really loved, um, by the way, uh, I don't know if, you might not know this, the direction that this series has taken is very different than what we had mapped out like six weeks ago. And I love the direction that it's taken because it has, instead of looking at, okay, let's look at all the marriages and what's going on and let's just address all the issues. I love the wisdom and discernment of our pastor that said, no, let's look at God and let's look at his design for marriage and let's let's pull from that, and I've been so challenged um, just to go back to Genesis and to look at that, that first account of creation because that Genesis account is while it is very informational and it's interesting to look at you know the, the seven days and, and to, to kind of figure out like well how did God do that and well where does God come from like what how did God get created and um, was, it, was it really seven days like did God really make the earth in seven days or was it like one day was like a million years or and and we can you know we can get caught up in that and that's all really it's fun to look at and to learn and to research and to read about but if we only look there then we miss the whole point of the the account of creation because the whole account of creation was to remind us of the order that God established through creation. And it's it's important that we notice those details, that none of them are there randomly, that none of them are there by accident. Because see, Adam did not write the book of Genesis, okay? Because obviously, like, Genesis goes on. It goes on and on and on and on and on, all the way through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons, it ends with, with Joseph. That's way after Adam had died. And it was actually Moses who was given credit with writing the book of Genesis. Well, Moses was way after Adam. So the way that these stories had gotten passed down was by oral tradition, was by speaking. And so these stories were so important That they were preserved through story from generation to generation to generation. And then were important uh, important enough for Moses to write them down so that we could remember. These are accounts that are, are meant to teach us something about who God is. And also about what his design, his order that he established means for us. It communicates his plan for us, and it it communicates his purpose for us in life. And it also communicates to us the the peace, the path that we have to to peace and, and a relationship with God. He established that in the very, very beginning. In the first few chapters of Genesis, we see all of these things. And over the last two weeks, we have walked through kind of the the second chapter of of Genesis, of the creation of man and woman, and what that looks like and the implications of that on our marriages. And as I was thinking, like, okay, God, what do you you want me to to share? Like, how do I, what part of the design do we need to really focus on? And I just started to read the next chapter, chapter 3. And there was one verse that stood out to me that had never really stood out before. And I think it's because it contrasted so starkly against the design that God had set out for us as, as a married couple. So I want before we talk about the flaw in the, or not the flaw in the design, but how the design fell apart, um, let's look at the design. This is Genesis chapter two, starting with verse 24. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's the design. That man and woman become one flesh that they were naked together and were not ashamed. And there's, there's one thing, and I'm not going to camp here all day, but there's one part of that, that design that I think some of you need to hear today. And it might be the only thing that you need to hear from me today. And it's in that first part of the, or in the last part of verse 24. It says, and they shall become one flesh. You see, this becoming one flesh is both instantaneous in the act of sex, but it is also a continual, ongoing process of becoming one flesh. That there is something spectacular that happens in that first moment that that physically binds us together as one flesh, as man and wife. But then there's in the plan itself, in the design, it is set that that we are to become. It's a continual act of of growing together, of, of working together. And I remember being about four years into marriage and looking at Lyle and being like, Oh my gosh, have we not figured this out yet? Can you not read my mind yet? And he's like, Can you not read my signals yet? And I just want you to know if you're here today and you're like, marriage is hard. I haven't, we haven't figured this out. When will we figure this out? Part of God's design for marriage is that it's not something that you figure out. Okay? It's, it's not something that, it's not a place that you arrive. It's it's not a destination. One flesh is not a destination. One flesh is a journey, it's a commitment. And even like God's God's jobs for Adam and Eve were to take care of all of the creatures that were in the air and in the sea and who crawled along the earth or walked along the earth and to be fruitful and multiply. That was their job. Like, God created co-workers. I actually work with Lyle. Like, we are employed here together. And when I tell people that, they're always like, I could never work with my spouse <laughs> I could never work with my husband I could never work with my wife and actually that comment I heard that comment last night and um I would just like to remind you one please don't all go get jobs with your spouses but that God's first assignment for Adam and Eve was to work together And working was part working in general, cultivating the garden and taking care of all of the animals and things. That's part of it. Working is inherent in God's plan. Working is part of the blessing, not part of the curse. So if you're here today and you're in a place where you're like, my marriage is hard. We are still trying to figure this out. I would say, good. Keep Working it out. Okay? So that was for free. (laughs) But where we're going to talk today is that next verse, verse 25. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Like, that naked means that they were totally And completely, in every single sense of the word, open and exposed to one another and had no shame. They had nothing, they had no reason to hide because they had nothing to hide. And I I want you to just think for a moment, like, what would that be like in your life right now, whether you're married or not? What would it be like to live a life where you didn't have to hide? where you didn't have to pretend, where you didn't have to smile just to, to cover up what was going on inside? What would that be like in your marriage if you, if you didn't have to avoid certain conversations? Or you didn't always have to have on your flannel nightgown and socks? That's what God wanted it to be. He wanted our marriages to be fully transparent. That we could look at our our spouse and only see good because there only was good to see. And that we could be exposed in the eyes of our spouse. All they would see is something and someone to treasure and to take care of but you know the reality. That's not the world that we live in. And I would like to read to you um, the account of the fall. For me, this is the saddest story in the whole Bible. And we're only three chapters in. So I'm going to read it and not cry. Here we go. Starting in verse one. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. I'm sure she was a little dramatic. The serpent said to the woman, "Surely you will not die, for God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that her tree and that her tree the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I have commanded you not to eat? Like God didn't know, but you know, he did. It's the parent, you know. The man said, well, the woman whom you, uh-huh, you God, you gave her to me, That one, she gave me from the tree. And I ate. I'm sure it was like that too. And I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The servant deceived me. And I ate. We're going to skip down to verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken." There are about 50 million sermons that you could preach out of this chapter. I know that because there are about that many books that have been written and commentaries and talks on the implications and the doctrines of sin and, and the fall and, and all that. But I'm not going to do that today. You're welcome. We're going to talk about one thing, and it is a very natural instinct, but I want you to notice the contrast in these two verses. Genesis two twenty five says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Contrasted with Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Do you see how different that is? One that's like full of beauty and love and joy and one that is broken and ashamed and hiding. And we live on this side of the fall and so we live a lot of our lives feeling those very same things. The interesting thing to me is that just like our... First parents, we also hide from one another. Adam and Eve were alone. There were no other people around, okay? They were both guilty in the fall. They, they both played equal roles in the fall. God was not there like in a, a physical present, you know, form that they could see. It was just the two of them. And yet, their instinct was to cover themselves. It was like, I did wrong, you did wrong, so let's just be wrong together. But that wasn't their instinct. Their instinct was, no, we have done wrong, and now we need to cover ourselves. And it wasn't Eve saying, Adam, now you need to cover up. Now, Eve, you need to cover up. I think it was more in the spirit of, I need to cover up. I, de- I don't want you, Adam, to see me like this. I don't want you, Eve, my beloved, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, to see me like this. And so they hid. See, they, were, they, they both, in this situation, they let one another down. Eve was supposed to have been her husband's helper, the one to come alongside in ruling the earth and filling it. And instead, she trusted the logic of the lies of the serpent instead of honoring her husband's position in creation. Adam. He was supposed to rule over and to be the primary caretaker of everything in creation. And instead, he passively stood by as Eve was persuaded to disobey God rather than to protect this person who, was now, like, who he had just called bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. They both let each other down. And now they were ashamed and they hid themselves. Because their disobedience, their sin, completely disrupted the design of this relationship between Adam and Eve. They went from being without shame to being ripped apart and ashamed. They went from being open and transparent to being closed and unable to trust the motive of their spouse. I also want to talk a little bit about what they used, um, because it's, it's kind of problematic. What did they use? I, I, let's do a little bit of crowd participation here. You've been very quiet this morning. What did they use to cover themselves? Fig leaves, right? Has anybody ever touched a fig leaf? Well, let me just tell you, they picked the worst plant, maybe outside of poison ivy, <laughs> to put on their special places. So fig leaves are covered in tiny little rough hairs that are filled with a toxin that when, is, like, when it gets into your skin, it's very irritating. And when that toxin mixes with sunlight, it can create a real bad rash, okay? So, <laughs> yeah. Moving on. (laughs) They picked something to cover their sin, which at best could cover them temporarily, but would always be ill fitting, irritating, flimsy, and would eventually fall apart. We do the same things. We take all kinds of things to hide behind. That for a minute, it really feels like a good idea. And some of those minutes last longer than others. But eventually, our hiding places will become irritating and hard to maintain. We hide behind things like a smile, a perky demeanor. We hide behind good manners. We hide behind clean houses, we hide behind home-cooked dinners, we hide behind good money management, we hide behind good deeds, we hide behind our nice cars, we hide behind our warm cup of so many words, brulee, latte, and a Starbucks mug. We hide behind, we hide in our social media. but none of them hold up. Eventually, just like a leaf that has been removed from the branch starts to to wither, so will our hiding places. Because they were never meant to be there in the first place. I I can't tell you the number of times, like, I have used things like that to hide what's really going on in my life. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been in the kitchen, you know, like making dinner and I'm like lost in thought of like something I'm worried about and, you know, like just the regular plans through the week and um, probably something that I said or I did that day that was dumb or rude or you know that I really wish that I hadn't and it's like all going on in my head and apparently like I have a look on my face when this is going on and Lyle will say hey what's wrong and almost every single time I have the exact same answer it is my fig leaf and it's oh nothing I'm just super tired super tired is my fig leaf super tired is what I have behind. Because legitimately, y'all, like we have had a million kids in a very short span of time, and they never sleep. And we only have three, but sometimes it feels like six are in the bed with us at some different point in the night. And like I am actually legitimately tired, okay? But I'm also tired of all the thoughts running in my head. I'm also tired of dealing with the guilt that I feel for like, Kind of not doing what I was supposed to do that day. And instead of me being honest and coming out from behind my fig leaf to my husband, I just say, I'm tired. Or, I'm tired, it's just a lot. I don't really want to talk about it right now. And then we just go on with our days. See, in a marriage... You have to have a place where, when you're, first when you're asked that question, that you actually answer it honestly. Like, that's his invitation to me, to open up, and I sidestep it almost every single time. I don't super like to talk about my feelings, um, so I don't always want to engage in that invitation, but now looking at God's design, like that his design is for us to be transparent with one another. This past week, even as I've had strep throat, as he has asked me, how are you? How's this going? I have tried so hard to just answer honestly. The other part is we also have to be people who ask those questions of our spouses. We have to pay attention, we have to notice, like, what's going on? What are you thinking about? And if they give you an answer like, eh, a lot of things, we will say, will you tell me one? Because you need to be interested, wives, husbands, in what is going on with your spouse. You need to know that. You need to, one, invite that kind of conversation and, two, be willing to contribute to that conversation. Proverbs says it like this. This is Proverbs 20, verse 5. Counsel in a person's heart is deep water, but a person of understanding draws it out. I love that image of a, like a well, that, that your husband or your wife it's like a well. And the council, all the things that are being like, said and, and like, pondered and thought about in their heart, it's like deep water. And your job as a husband or a wife is to, to draw it out. To drop that bucket down into the well and be patient enough until it hit. Y'all, we just had our well pump replaced. Our well... The water is 300 feet underground. That's a lot of feet. That takes a lot of rope and a lot of time. Now, some of us, our wells are like five inches below the ground. We're just always ready, you know? But some, some people, have, it's going to take some time. It says a person of understanding draws it out. And, and if you think about like drawing out that bucket, like if you drop a bucket into a well, And then you, like, start just, you know, pulling it up. What's going to happen to the water in that bucket? It's going to slosh out, right? Your labor will be for nothing. You as a spouse, your job is to drop that bucket in and wait for it to fill. And keep asking those questions. Keep initiating those conversations. And slowly over time, what is in their heart will come out. You also have to be the person who's willing to be drawn out of. You can't just continually be closed off. And sometimes we're closed off because we don't even know what's going on. We don't take the time. And y'all, listen, I'm preaching to me right here. I don't take the time to figure out what it is that I'm feeling, what it is that's going on. I can usually answer a pretty general question of like, well, I'm mad if you ask me like, what are you mad about? i am be like, I don't know. I'm just mad. Because I don't take that time. But we as people in general need to take that time to figure out what's going on in us so that when our spouse tries to draw it out or when we go to God in prayer, that we have something there to offer, to lift, to contribute, to say. Because that is who we are. We don't need to hide ourselves in our marriage. So we have to be that safe place. We have to be a safe place where our spouse can bring their burdens and they can bring their dreams and their cares or their worries because one day our spouse might need to bring a confession. And I promise, the more that you make this space between you and your spouse, a place of continually sharing just what's going on in your life, the less likely it will need to be a place of confession. What I mean by that is if you are always closed off from your spouse, you never know what's going on there. Things can happen without you knowing, without you having your eyes on it. And one day they might have to bring a confession to you, or you might catch them. And then it's a hard place to have a conversation because you're not used to having conversations at all. Have conversations together. We cannot expect to ever be a place of confession if we're not primarily a place to share our burdens, but how do we do that? And I will submit to you that we need to put on a different kind of cover. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also are you to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. If you wanna create that space, this is what you need to put on. You don't need to hide behind your fig leaves. You need to wear kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness. And that's the kind of space that's going to open up and allow conversations to happen so that you do not have to hide from your spouse. The thing is, is, even though it was a little bit misguided, Adam and Eve weren't wrong in their instinct to hide themselves in an attempt to cover their sin. Because our sin does indeed need to be covered, but their fig leaves were not adequate enough to make them feel worthy to be in the presence of God. And so just like our first parents, when God came round and we, were hold, we hold things that we're ashamed of in our hearts, we hide from God. Genesis 3.8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself we hide from God for the same reasons that we hide from our spouse we hide because we're ashamed we're afraid because we don't trust God we're uncertain of how he is going to react we're we're afraid that if we come to God honestly that he's gonna like lightning bolt us from the sky but I want to show you something that we, I skipped over um, in the account. That I want to remind you that, yes, God is just. And he does bring his judgment. But his judgment cannot be separated from his love and his mercy. And we see that in the very first curse that he gives to the serpent. He says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I'm going to stop there. Here's our first ray of hope. God said that he was going to make the serpent move on his belly and eat dust all the days of his life. Now, that's not just because it's a snake and it's on the ground and it's near the dust, but when do we use the term eat dust? Eat my dust. Like in a race, right? In some kind of a race. Now, listen, I'm not a runner, guys, so I'm not even going to pretend. Um, but in a race, like you kick up dust behind you. And, and when you say like that you will eat dust, it means you will lose. And so, in this very first piece, God is saying, you know what, Satan? You will not ever be victorious. So you have the promise of victory even in a curse. That's why that song that we just sang is so powerful and so true. The victory is yours. And right here is the promise of that. All the days of that serpent's life, he will eat dust. He will eat your dust. And certainly God's dust. Now let's go on to verse 15. Let's continue to see God's kindness in this curse. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And if you're really paying attention, this is the first time that God whispers, Jesus. He says, she, mother of all creation, Will bear in through her lineage a son, her offspring, and he will strike your head. That's our promise. That's where we see Jesus because our sins do have to be covered, right? And and God's starting to show us that plan. He says, There's gonna be somebody, a son, an offspring who will strike your head. Then verse 21, one of the most loving loving acts of God. He says or says, "The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them." Now, garments of skin, that means like animal skin. Because God provided a covering for them through sacrifice. That was the first sacrifice. It couldn't be mere fig leaves that were torn off of a tree to cover their sin. It had to be a blood sacrifice. Somebody had to lose something big, their life, in order for their sin to be covered. That is Jesus. He Covered our sin through his sacrifice of blood by dying on the cross. In those first three chapters, we see the whole gospel story. We see the whole love of God and the promise right there. And we don't need to hide from him. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Because of Jesus, we don't have to hide. Psalm 32, five through seven says, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time that you might be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You are my hiding place. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs. Of deliverance, You see, God is not someone who we hide from, but who we hide in. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. And when we are safely hidden in him, we can start to uncover those places that we've kept secret for so long. The beautiful things and the terrible things. Likewise, when a husband and a wife can hide in one another instead of from one another, it will become a place of refuge, a safe place for you to hide. It's, it's God's Eden on this side of heaven. That is what he wants in your marriage So this is what we do. We look at our current reality, and we look at the design, and we lay them side by side, and we get honest about that gap. And then we get serious about doing something about it. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want you to ask yourself these questions. Are you a man or a woman, a husband, a wife, who provides a safe place for your spouse to bring your burdens and confessions? Are you willing to pay attention and patiently listen in order to draw out those deep waters from your wife's heart, from your husband's heart, Are you ready to take an honest look at yourself? To know what's really going on in you so that you can share it, not hide it. What do I need to do? Who do I need to be? What kind of man, what kind of wife, what kind of husband do I need to be? What kind of person do I need to be in order to do all of these things? And maybe today there's something that that you're hiding from your spouse and you don't want it to be hidden anymore. Maybe there's something you just need to admit to yourself. Finally own up to something that you don't even want to look at. Maybe there's something you need to confess and bring to God. You don't need to hide from him. There's nowhere that you can go that's away from his presence. Hiding is futile and will leave you exhausted. Maybe today you just need to take your husband's hand, you need to put your arm around your wife just as a small gesture of saying, I wanna be this for you. Maybe you wanna come to the altar and pray together. Maybe it's the first time that you've been to an altar together since the day you said, I do. Maybe you pray over one another for the first time in a long time. Maybe for the first time ever. Maybe you're single and you're thinking, none of this means anything to me. But today, maybe you just need to commit to making a practice of hiding in God and becoming a person who is equipped for a marriage that is open and honest. And maybe your marriage is broken. Maybe it is busted up and maybe it is beyond repair this morning. And today, you just need to commit to being honest with yourself about what happened. Maybe you need to just Rest, and don't worry about who's to blame, and pointing fingers, and just bring the broken pieces to God and say, no strings attached, this is yours. God, help us to see the things and the ways that we're hiding. We know your design was for us to have a marriage that was meant to be open and exposed and naked in the the best ways. Will you just take your time here, Lord? Will you move in our hearts and in our minds? Thank you for demonstrating your love for us. Thank you for covering us with your love. Thank you that we we get to be in the presence of the Lord and we get to come without shame and without fear. with boldness and confidence before your throne. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.